tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Mad Dog Time, the Paperboy, Mordecai, after last season. The World is Wrong is an extremely positive podcast where Andras Jones and Brian Connolly champion films The World is Wrong About. Available on Paperhouse Network wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, this is Moses Allison, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andras Jones. Radio 8-Ball Give us a shake We're here in the studio Tempting fate Mm-mm. Putting questions to the songs Which we will randomly select Here with the help of our friend Synchronicity And now it's time for The Radio 8-Ball Show Okay, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the Radio 8 Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is the end of... Radio 8 Ball Season 3 The Appenay 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 Where we have been engaging the Pop Oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app if you're an iPhone user. It's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen Pop Oracle Song of the Day. In our last episode, number 666, Will Morgan asked... Well, I mean, we talked a lot about the devil. I guess this whole idea of thinking that there were there was like this whole hidden tarot symbolism that was being shown in WandaVision, there, it's, there's a big question on whether or not I'm fooling myself to a certain extent or whether or not I'm just being really clever and injecting in, in, in there. So... Overall, I would want to know, a friend of mine said this pun to me today, and I think that it was appropriate. He said, uh, will I have meta egg on my face? That was the question from your friend? He, he asked, aren't you worried? That I felt like the, it felt like Slim Shady in 8 Mile. He's like, aren't you scared of what they're going to say about you? And he kind of dropped this bomb. He's like, don't you think you might get meta egg on your face? Like, yeah, Will, it's pretty convincing. But what if you're wrong? So I guess, let's see. Let's see if the the high priestess lays an egg. The question is from Will Morgan. Will I have meta egg on my face? 
and received as his randomly chosen answer, I don't think I'll make it through the summer by the band Merch, recorded live on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS in Olympia on November 14th, 2006. If you've been waiting on this, I am very sorry that it has taken so long. The Pop Oracle is a truth-telling medium, and for the last many months, the truth has been even more slippery than usual. I have lots of questions, but very few I feel comfortable engaging publicly. Perhaps you can relate. On my other podcast, The World is Wrong, we recently did an episode about The Front, a film from 1976 about the anti-communist blacklist starring Woody Allen as a front for blacklisted writers. The film was written and directed by formerly blacklisted film artists and co-starred several formerly blacklisted actors, including Zero Mostel. I wanted to cover that film because I feel like it engages the kind of synchronicity I want to on Radio 8-Ball. It raises the parallels between the political repression of the Red Scares, the confusing cultural contradiction of the Me Too movement embodied in the case of Woody Allen, and the way a piece of media can capture and communicate so much more than its creators could possibly intend. I highly recommend checking out that episode and that film. This episode is actually a crossover with The World is Wrong. We recently covered the film The November Men, directed by Paul Williams, not the diminutive songwriter or the deceased rock critic, but the Radicals' 60s director of such films as Out of It, The Revolutionary, and Nunzio. After putting out the episode about Williams' mindfuck assassination comedy from the 90s, I managed to track down the director and interview him for a bonus episode. We began that episode with a musical divination. Let's go to it now. Time passes. I've been doing the Radio 8 Ball show for like 20 years, and as I was reading your book, there was so much uh, stuff that I thought there was like a kinship between a lot of the work you've done and the synchronicity and art aspect of Radio 8 Ball that it inspired Uh me to... I've kind of had it on hiatus. It's, had, it's inspired me to, to bring it out, and I figure this is a conversation that might benefit from the addition of some synchronicity uh-huh. to, to get us going. So, not that it's not always there, but... Hey, sometimes the magic works, as they said in Little Big Man. Yes, exactly. It is true. It's funny how much synchronicity is encoded into us through film without us being necessarily aware you know that when we're kid when i wa- saw that scene when i was a kid i had this feeling of synchronicity about it but i didn't have the word or the concept but that's exactly what that is right that's the pop oracle all right you do that 
Okay, so All now, right. uh, so here's what we're going to do. So this is, uh, it's a pop oracle that's full of every song that's been recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, including a whole bunch of my own. There's about 2,000 songs in there. Each of them was recorded on a specific date for the most part. And as an answer to a question from a, pre- a previous musical divination. And uh, we've had some pretty illustrious folks ask uh, questions on the show. Uh, you know, Patricia Arquette and John C. Riley and uh, who else? We've had Alan Toussaint, Mose Allison. Dan Byrne. Dan Byrne. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, most, he's only played the music. He's never asked the questions. Uh, uh, he, he's, you know, he's, he's one of my good, good, good old friends. And I know someone who has who's crossed your path a bit and we can get into that. But this is for you to ask your question to the Pop Oracle, which will sort of, uh, I hope, inform our conversation about the November Men and your career in film. So what is your question for the Pop Oracle, Paul Williams? Do I don't have to hit speak or anything? Uh, You could type it in or you could speak it. I'll speak it. Do I have to hit the speak button there? Okay, no, here's my question. Are the uh, unidentified flying objects coming from another dimension? Are the unidentified flying objects coming from another dimension? Well, now, uh, give it a shake. A sh- shake the phone? Yeah. The Radio 8 Ball. Let me die with my trumpet in my hand. Oh! Song number six. Song number six. And uh, this is a song uh, with Dan Byrne in common rotation. Lord, deliver me. Reconsider me. Lord, make up your mind Lord, I'm looking good How I'm feeling good Lord, who's a good guy? Lord, I'm asking me What you ask of me Lord, I do it all the time Just let me die With my trumpet in my hand Lord, this tyranny Oh, it's left in me Lord, the men in the hour Lord, the sinners we form the ministry It's the surest game in town Lord, you ready me, then call it blasphemy But it's the only way i found Just let me die with my trumpet in my hand Lord, you tear us apart Try to hide another heart It's a curse that is frozen to me You raised us in the middle Lord, you gave, I took a little It's so easily done Lord, can't you see we've won Lord, the china there Oh, the silverware, Lord, the way we would die, it'll be a 
sign If you show me yours, Lord, I'll show you mine Lord, you set it up and now you knock it down Lord, I'll gladly do the time Just let me die with my trumpet in my hand Amazing that that song came up. I want to know what you think about it in terms of the answer to your question about the UFO, about the UFOs. But I also want to tell you a little bit about how intense of an answer that is. Okay. So that was recorded on April 25th, 2010 at a theater in Seattle, Washington called Theater Off Jackson, and Dan Byrne was the musical guest, and he was there with his band Common Rotation. And John C. Riley was Skyping in, and the whole and it was one of the only times Dan has performed all of his Dewey Cox songs in one place, outside of a, a like an event for the film. And so John C. Riley was Skyping in to ask a question, which would then be answered by Dewey Cox music played by Dan Byrne that he wrote for the movie Walk Hard. And I, I remember I was with Dan when he was uh, working on that. Yeah, it was. I remember that. So that pro, you know, that project was deep. He went really, really deep on the writing for that project. And yeah, as remember. far as trying to really catalog the whole sweep of what of a life of music that that this character would have experienced from the 1950s through the present. At any rate, so I had this, and this is all about, I think this will kind of, this is a great one to inform our conversation uh, about your career. Because for me, well, this, this was one of those exciting things. I had John C. Riley, I had Dan Byrne, I had one of my favorite songwriters there. We were going to get to really go deep on Dewey Cox and on the movie. And by the time 
John C. Riley Skyped in, a couple of songs had been changed out because of the way we were doing it. Every time a song came off the board, we put another one on. And so when he asked his question, the one song that came up was one that Dan didn't perform at all. It was the one song he put in for his band, being the menchie guy he is. He gave his band a chance to have their moment, and their moment totally became the moment because their song was the answer to John C. Riley's question. So <laughs> when that was played, there was this mo- this feeling in the room of everyone questioning synchronicity, including myself, which I know is something uh-huh. that uh, I've learned. I, the, this show has taught me you can't do. I mean, you can. We all do it. But. The smart thing is to really trust that the synchronicity is right, especially when it feels so wrong and embarrassing. And what go- what's even better is that John C. Riley's question was a really profound question. And again, I think this may inform our conversation. He was, uh, he was asking a question about his mother who had just passed away. And he asked, do our dead relatives see us? And got this song as his answer. And we could talk about how that we on the show, we talked about how that answered it. And, you know, there was ways that we right. thought about that, but that it came up now when we were talking about Dan Byrne, you have a relationship with Dan Byrne. And then you got a song that was the most Dan Byrne song in it because <laughs> it's because Dan isn't in it at all. And it again, just hammers home how wrong everyone in the room was that, it was a bad reading because it's still a potent reading right now for your question about UFOs. So now with all of that context that I bring to it, because I just, I lived it. How do you think that song relates to your question about UFOs and other dimensions? Well, I must say, I think Dan, this song relates, uh, you know, he's such a, skeptic to put it mildly um and what i find very interesting at this very juncture is the difference between uh, you know the consensus uh, reality that you know ufos are you know silly and the scientific uh well i just was talking to somebody at jpl and, uh, you know, the best explanation they've got is that uh, to have these characteristics, you would have to be coming from another dimension. It's as if, I don't know if you know the movie or the book Flatland, a guy named Morris. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the point is, if you're living in two dimensions and somebody puts comes through, all you see is a very small sliver of what that is. Well, similarly, these, you know, UFOs come in, they're seen, they disappear, they move at, you know, ridiculous speeds. Anyway, the, the interesting thing is, on the one hand, that serious, the most serious scientists now take it seriously. And, and of course, nobody knows anything, right? All they know is the the fact that the, the verifiable data is there, that these things exist. What are they? What is their meaning? That's their speculation. But anyway, the, the, the interesting thing, I think, is going to be in June, this month, when they release some more, the Defense Department, 
is going to release a huge amount of documentation. It's, it's, just, it's interesting to me whether it's uh, the moment of uh, balance moving the other way on skepticism. And in a way, that song we just heard was about skepticism. You know, if you know, if God won't play in my band, you know, let me play my trumpet, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so, in some ways, it's uh, it's uh, what would you call it? Uh, it's that very point of balance between uh, Balderall and serious consideration for you know a whole new definition of uh, reality. Uh, so I guess in that sense, uh, this song identifies that moment. Even though it's not a Dan Byrne song, it definitely speaks to something that is a vein in his songwriting, which is, as maybe not unique to him, but is elevating the song itself to the highest form of expression. Like speaking to the Lord and saying all of these things, you know, call it blasphemy, but this is the, it's the surest game in town. This is the only thing I've found is to play my trumpet, to play my music. And, uh, and I guess when I think about, there's a part of like thinking about there's a, a religiousness to the UFO phenomenon that is you know, whatever, I mean, I don't, and I don't mean it in the sense of that it's connected to any religion, although there, I think there are people probably who have a religious fixation either to them or against oh, them. Oh, listen, I just got a, I just got a serious letter from a person asking me if we could do the book of uh, the Mark from the Bible, uh, <laughs> where, where Jesus is a, uh, uh, <laughs> an ET in another form. So, hey. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think, so there's, I think let, let's, I, what I'd like to do is I feel like I'd like to let the, the reading sit because we're going to get, I want to really get into talking with you about uh, about your films, particularly about the November men. And I just have a feeling that this will come back over and over again through our conversation. Uh-huh. But if it doesn't, I don't want to stick around here too much because as much as I'd love to talk with you about UFOs, you haven't, you're yet to make a UFO movie. And what I want to talk with you about is the November men, a movie about assassinations. And I also think about, about making movies and about synchronicity and about the fluid nature of truth on film. Well, I mean, it's also true that on a certain level, my, my mainstream career was over halfway through my life. And then I really went on a much more personal tack and was just blowing my trumpet and doing my song and my films. And I didn't give a hoot what else anybody else thought, as long as I could play my trumpet. Time passes. I hope you'll check out the full episode and subscribe to the World is Wrong podcast. The episode about the November Men includes a link to the film online. We're currently on a one-month hiatus, but there are 48 episodes for you to choose from, and we'll be starting our second season in September. In the meantime, as far as Radio 8 Ball, I don't know. 
My belief in the value of this format is undaunted. My belief in myself as the ideal person to deliver it to the world is slightly more daunted. But I'm also feeling pretty satisfied with where the project stands. The Radio 8 Ball app is live and on iTunes and filled with all of these songs that have been performed as the answers to questions on very specific dates at very specific times since 1998 from people who are illustrious and people who are anonymous and people who are no longer with us. It's a living document of which I am extremely proud. And hey, this is our 667th podcast, and that ain't nothing. The only thing missing, really, at this moment is an audience that cares about it. But time has taught us that such things are easily corrected, and when it comes to a synchronicity show, we can be fairly sure if such a thing is to happen, it will be precisely at the right time. Perhaps, if you are listening to this, that time is now. Or maybe we still have to wait a little. There's a part of me that believes this format will ultimately thrive when it is hosted by others who can stand comfortably upon my shoulders and lead this exploration with greater ease and a slightly lesser sense of responsibility for generating the existence and holding the integrity of the entire enterprise. It's not easy to create a wave and ride it. I mean, I've done my best, but I'm pretty sure that someone else at some point will do it far better. I honestly hope I get to be a musical guest on that show. That was always the intention anyway, was to create an environment in which my songs could be experienced the way I wanted them to be experienced. I look forward to the time when I can engage it that way. And I actually have been able to since we've become a podcast and I've enjoyed it. I'm going to get to my own question for the Pop Oracle. But first, I got to tell you a story that I've intimated and referred to, but never come right out and told. Now, it appears, is the time. If you've been following along, you may remember episode 68 of this podcast with Pete Molinari. That was a great episode. Linda Perry showed up to ask a question. Very, very cool. We recorded that one at Bruce Whitkin's studio, where I would later record the song Absolutely No Sense of Humor, and we were at Bruce's because things had gotten pretty uncomfortable for us at Starburns Industries, where we had recorded most of the previous 67 episodes of the podcast, including one of our best, episode 59, in which I was the musical guest performing covers of the songs of previous Radio 8 Ball guests as the answers to the questions from hosts of some of my favorite Starburns podcasts, like Profiles in Eccentricity, the former uh, Feral Audio Starburns podcast, Ethnically Ambiguous, and The Mormon and the Meth Head. It was actually the strength of that episode that led to the confusion that would lead to our no longer being a part of that network. 
During the segment with the Mormon and the meth head, the meth head of the pair, Jessa Reed, asked a question that I'll play for you now. Time passes. Here's Aaron Woodall. He's the Mormon. Aaron Woodall is the Mormon. Hi, that's me. This is uh, (laughs) Jessa Reed. She's a dumbass bitch. She loves it when I call her that. She loves it. So anyway, this you are. I almost blew that. By the way, I almost was like, uh, "My name is Jessa Reed, and he's a Mormon." I had to like concentrate so hard. So uh, the switcheroo was very tricky. Now Drink you more coffee. <laughs> you are Mormon and method, but you are also comedians. Yes, this is what you do. You're, that's how you met. You that's met really- in yeah. a whole different kind of church. Yes, mm-hmm. the Church of Comedy. Church of Comedy. The Church of Comedy. Uh, that's my one true God is uh, stand-up comedy. You can trust uh, it. You can trust a laugh. Yes, that's the best. It's like a synchronicity. You yeah. can you cannot it cannot be pre-programmed. It can't you can't like, force you can, someone you to do can it. You can fake a laugh. Like people, you can make yourself laugh, but like oh, you can tell. There's also you know how you ever uh, tried to stop laughing and weren't yeah. able to. Yeah. Like you know that this is the wrong time. And you need <laughs> to stifle this. And you need to bury it, and you just can't. Yeah. There's something so true about a laugh, and that that's what. That's what feels good. That's what feels validating when you're on stage and you are making strangers laugh. Uh, you're like, you know that you're funny because you're like, they they can't lie about this. You know, like it feels feels very very good. Yes, I love it. And you also spend you have spent uh, a fair amount of the last. You didn't know it, but you spent a fair of the last few weeks making me cry, which you can also trust. You can also trust trust uh, the tears of of just uh, oh made my you god. Cry the most, Andrews. Uh, actually, when they pronounce my mispronounce my name, it's oh. Andras. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, man. no. Uh, so I, I also, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't raised Mormon, but I married a Mormon woman, and we were married for a long time, and she left me in a similar way. We didn't have kids, but it was sort of like I, I was totally unaware, and it came out of the blue, and I had all, like so listening to you go through your process of so th- th- we should talk a little bit so. Mormon and the Meth Head, you both are telling the stories of basically your wild times with that particular drug or cult, mm-hmm. or, vo- or both, right? Yeah. And we were uh, both stuck in uh, different, very different addictions that were kind of fueled by our um, feelings of, of worthlessness and doubt and stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I... I used religion and she used meth and then we stepped outside of those things and just tried to fix ourselves on our own and uh the podcast is really trying to chronicle uh, a journey of two people uh trying to become better versions of themselves and it's uh funny and honest and sad and uh, everything all of that comes across and i guess one of the you might consider it the, one of the humorous conceits of the show is that the Mormon is the is sort of the acolyte to the meth head. The meth head plays the role. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm calling you by your monikers. Is that okay, Aaron and Jess? Yeah. You, you, sure, I, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, I should also say that I just give a shout out to my friend Chris Kirk, who turned me on to the two of you even before you were a fellow star. I would also like to give a shout podcast. out to Chris Yeah, Chris Kirk, Kirk uh, thank you so much. I use that speaker every day. And, uh, <laughs> and I use the blanket. He uses which the blanket. He also gave to Jess. He didn't give me any presents. <laughs> he gave two presents to Jess, but I took one. And I thank him for I'm it. I'm sure he's happy that you were that you did that you took care of yourself. He's a, he's a big believer in yeah. that. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, so yeah, so. Uh, 
So the 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 conceit. I mean, and it's it's one of the reasons that I this one of the things I'm excited to to hang out with you and talk with you about is because one of I think one of the things that is at the heart of what I love about your show, other than the wild stories about the fucked up shit you got into as a Mormon and the fucked up shit you got into as a meth head, but just the quest for enlightenment and, yeah. and the, and the, just the, the thirst for knowledge. I mean, for the things that, that, I mean, drugs promise an easy enlightenment and religions prom religion promises an easy enlightenment. And you are both sort of take, have left those things, those, the, the safety or the lack of safety of those confines to go out searching. And I think the, the great, uh, the wonderful contradiction for me and maybe for all of your listeners is that I think a lot of us are going through that, but the fact that two, you two have found each other. Like if it's just one of you telling your story, it's not as it's good. pretty, yeah, it's like you'd need a, a, neat, a neat conceit, like asking questions and picking songs at random is the answer to keep <laughs> yeah. it interesting. Because <laughs> one, per, you know, but the two of you together and the way that you got help each other and the way that you, I don't know, just like... Uh, are each other's teachers is really wonderful. And uh, I guess I'm still, like your last episode, the end of your first season really kind of choked me up because I was like, oh, it's so wonderful the way you found your your peace in that situation with your ex. And I won't give it, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> he doesn't kill himself or anyone else. He's, he, he gets better. <laughs> That's probably a really helpful spoiler for some people. Like, oh no, what's going to happen yeah. to this guy? I encourage listeners to check out Mormon and the Meth Head. Listen to the whole podcast. Or, like, I actually, you told me to listen to the whole thing, but there's so many of them. I basically listened, like, the first ten, and I've listened to, like, the last seven or eight. That's a good, that's, uh, yeah. that's a good starter so, pack. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to, like, get a sense of where you are, but I wanted to be up to speed on where you are, at least in the in the podcast. Yeah. So mm -hmm. forgive me if this is something that you haven't talked about before, but I love you sort of build your shows around different concepts. Yeah. And there's a, uh, there's a word that... I don't think that is is sort of like a third rail kind of word that uh, whenever you use it, it's like it's either not enough or too much or people roll their eyes. You can't. It's a word that doesn't really communicate what it's it can never communicate what it's meant to communicate. And the word is genius. Um, and I feel like both of you and what you're doing is striving towards a con and then people don't want to use the word because you don't want to describe yourself as that. But I also feel like unless you're working on something that you feel like is a work of genius, even if it's just your own enlightenment, what's the point? Like right. you got to like swing big, even if you don't like it's not like saying, hey, I am a genius or this is. But inside, you know, the reason you stay up till whatever in the morning or do that extra work, because on some level, you kind of think it might be. Or and that's what I that's kind of, that's the that's what I wanted to open up with you with the two of you because I hear uh, you know you're both artists you're both doing your art you're both striving for enlightenment what you're doing with your podcast is kind of a big swing thing um, and I just kind of wanted to hear the two of you riff a little bit on the idea of well, let me say one more thing about it so when I, I'll tell you my idea so I don't want to just okay. throw in the so my idea is that. Uh, Basically, we're all, like, I feel like Radio 8-Ball, like the thing I work on that I spent 20 years working on, and it good, there's a what that, in my mind, it checks off the lot, a lot of the boxes of what I think is a, a genius kind of work. I feel like a faulty vessel or a faulty servant to that a lot of the time. Like, if I would, like, a lot of things you think about when you think of genius, think of someone who, some, some not even someone, or something that is so obvious 
to us, but is not obvious to the people in its time. Which is, again, every person walking around on the planet right. is totally obvious, obviously a genius work of art to themselves that is a mystery to the world. So that's why I feel like it's a word that is, like, you, it's almost, if you say it to, about yourself or someone else, it's too much. But if you don't say it, it's not enough right. for the intensity that, and the intention that we bring to whatever our work is. And so that, and I, and I particularly, I feel like a lot of the ways, uh, well, I just think a lot of the ways, the both of you, you're, you're out there saying things that in your community, I've heard you get in trouble with people, people, you push people's buttons sometimes, you, you say stuff that sounds crazy is, you know, crazy balls to someone who's closed-minded and think you, and judges things that way. But to me, that's just the way a genius talks, right? Is like, oh, I see something very clearly and I will be patient with you, but I'm not going to change it because you don't understand it. So. Yeah. Um, there, There is uh, the combination of Aaron and I, I like because uh, he's much more down to earth than I am, much more grounded than I am, but so open-minded for someone who is grounded and cautious and down to earth like uh, typically people with those qualities are very rigid and closed-minded and so there's kind of this like magic where he is able to explore ideas that he hasn't explored before he's always looking for ways to grow and and change as a person uh but he still has this very comforting skeptical grounded like like skeptical in a healthy way to me like when i hear skeptical a lot of times i think that's just people are like uh describing themselves as skeptical but you're actually just closed-minded like you're actually not open to new information uh where aaron really just uh honestly processes every new piece of information as if it could be true and then um it's uh, a lot of the stuff that I say is just kind of nuts. You know what I mean? It's just kind of nuts. But if I've I presented not. it to, yeah, um, it depends on who right. you're talking <laughs> yeah. to, right? But like, I'm also open-minded to uh, ideas that I am, you know, like, I, like it, what I perceive to be magic, someone else would perceive to be, I just have done too many drugs. And like, I'm open to both of those being true. And, um, but there's just, I never, I don't meet very many truly open-minded people. So what would be an example of one of the things that you, it, you probably make a list, but what was, is like one thing that you feel like, this seems so obvious to me, but everyone think most people, I have to be careful who I say it to because a lot of people are going to think it's nuts. I think the biggest thing to me that, that seems so obvious to me, but that other people struggle with, is that, that there aren't really facts and that uh, reality is honestly just perception-based and that um, uh, as this big move away from religion happens, that doesn't, like, religion is still real for the people that are experiencing religion because if they perceive it to be real... Uh, just because you can't quantify it in a lab doesn't change the fact that the people experiencing it are real. Therefore, it is real to them. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just seems so obvious. And I can go in a circular, yeah, but conversation with people. But it doesn't. Just like if you believe that you have a bad relationship with a coworker, 
then every every interaction you have with that person, because you think that person doesn't like you, you're gonna see it through the lens of the fact that you two have a bad relationship. You're gonna live out that reality. And then one day you might have an experience where you realize that they liked you the whole time, but they're socially anxious or that it was a misunderstanding. And then you'll have a paradigm shift and realize all these things. But while you were in it, that was real. That right. was the reality you were living in. I, I, I see my my take on sort of being a skeptic is being is is about being open to everything, and it's the idea that truths can be in non truth equally true truths can be in total non agreement. Right. So, and even within that idea, what's it's also if you also believe that that's not true, then that's also not true. Right. Right. So yeah. it's a it's a complete it is a closed loop logically and. I would put that in this in the sort of uh, category of it's an effective strategy. It's a philosophy that supports an effective strategy because that's an effective that's the most effective way to approach reality. Yeah, like it's my response. I, you know, I'm these are sort of easy because I've listened to you talk enough that I know that we're in agreement on the on some of that's one of the things that I think people. I, I thought you might say that that the idea that you're totally responsible for everything in your life. And that there is no, you know, there is no, I've heard you talk about this on the show, that there's no, uh, no one who can do anything to you that shouldn't have been done, that there's no, you are not, there's no being a victim, which yeah. at the same time, that's one of those things that I think of those, that that's a totally, that's a, that's a valid idea. And at the same time, sometimes people need to feel like a victim, which is also included in that idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it is a. It, if Sometimes you take a I need to feel bite, like a victim. Is really what I should say, not somebody else. Sometimes I need to feel like a victim. Yeah. And sometimes it's a more effective strategy for me to feel like, hey, I'm totally responsible for everything in my life, and even the shit that happened to me, bring it. You know, I'm glad, right? Yeah. So I, I think there I have to separate the macrocosmic from the microcosmic. Right. So from the macrocosmic, I believe that everything that has ever happened to me, like I chose to experience it and that from a macrocosmic view, there is no good, bad, right or wrong. It just is. It's all just experience. We came here to experience it all. The microcosmic version of me still has to process trauma, still has to deal with uh, with with times I've been hurt and people who have hurt me, but the process always ends in forgiveness of self, forgiveness in those that hurt me, and ultimately uh, I come back to the baseline of nothing has ever happened in my life that I didn't choose to experience. And we should also say, if you listen to the show, you will hear that that is not someone who's saying that some middling, like some minor traumas. If you listen to Jess's story... There's some really, there's a lot of stuff that other people might qualify as being victimized. And that's why it's, I think that it's a, it's like a very, like I said, it's a philosophy for a very effective strategy for anyone, I think. But I think it's more, it's always more impressive to see someone who is able to apply that to stuff that you think you might, like if I see someone able to forgive something that I couldn't forgive, it suggest that maybe I should expand my capacity for forgiveness, right? Yeah. And that, so, and again, I said, you know what, I feel like we kind of, we, this is sort of naturally turning into this first segment really being yours. So why don't we get to your question for the Pop Oracle? Are you are you prepared for that? Um, I, I Like, the, the kind of things I've been thinking about are less about myself 
and kind of more about society. And I didn't know if that was something. That's it's whatever you feel the most where your inspiration is. So act, totally ask about. I'm sure whatever you ask about is going to have something universal, like a universal nugget we can all relate yeah. to. Um, well, I have been. Um, I believe that we are like collectively leveling up to uh, a higher um, dimensional consciousness without getting uh, too far, too fast. Go all the way there. And um, <laughs> although the last couple of years have really felt very traumatic for everyone, for me, they kind of felt like a death. Is it death knell? Is that the thing I'm looking for? Yeah. Just like, just like a final, I believe we are like evolving out of a fear-based reality and into more of a self-aware uh, reality and the um, the current presidency and the current uh, state of things and the division and everything else has really just felt like uh, the final screams of an old world trying to assert itself and I really feel like we are uh, in the threshold anyway. And I guess my question is, um, am I right? Is that too specific? No, all right, so are you right that we are up-leveling and we are now experiencing the sort of death, the death throes of the la- the old I feel like paradigm. we are stepping out of the death throes. Um, I think the last two years really felt like a lot of trauma uh, on an individual level and on a collective level boiling to the top. And um, I feel like the next phase... Well, I would like to know what the uh, next phase is. Okay, that's... I have a a suspicion, but... What's um, the next phase for humanity? I think that we um, step into a lot more power. Like, if, if if I had to... Wait, are you now answering the question, or are you asking? That, no, that's the que- That's my <laughs> guess, but that, that's uh, uh, my question. Yeah. So the question is: is what? What's next? Yes. Okay. Okay. So now, to engage the pop oracle, you get to spin. I get to spin the wheel of eight. Na 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 na. Wheel of I was a very weak spin. What is it? Four. Four. Song number four, which is. Ooh. Are we breaking up tonight <gasps> from Peter David Connolly? I'm walking through your open door. It isn't home to me anymore. You got a look that needs explaining. I'm shaking and I'm sure it shows But it's only cause I gotta know Are you through with me now, baby? Are we breaking up tonight? Are you really gonna end my life tonight? As I howl in pain, you say, darling, it's alright Are you gonna leave me in defeat To take a loser's walk down lonely street To the city dock where the broken hearted meet I don't think they ever eat 
thought that we could have a beer and stay together for another year. But you don't seem to feel like waiting. There's nothing new to do or say. But I'll do anything to make you stay. Even a hyperventilating. And love is a road of faith. How it can tear you up in anger. She's watching my decline. From the position of a stranger Remember when I used to call Now we don't even talk at all Are we breaking up tonight? Are you really gonna end my life tonight? As you calmly say, would you kindly leave my side? Don't even try to take my hand and say, baby doll, I understand. Sometimes love just lives to be set free, and I think we're history. Yeah, I think we're history. That was Are We Breaking Up Tonight from Peter David Connolly. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I almost murdered it, but managed to survive. That song, that was when excellent. I was learning it, I was totally thinking about your story, Aaron. The, oh, yeah. yeah, well, just like the nothing new to do or say, but I'll do anything to make you stay, even hyperventilating. You know, uh, was that the line... Uh, I'll get to it in a second. Uh, we'll get to your, to your, but I just, when I was thinking of these songs, I was thinking, oh, how they connected to the different people. So that line of, uh, uh, I thought that we could have a beer and stay together for an e- another year, but she doesn't seem to feel like waiting. Yeah. Also reminded me of some of the stuff from your story, which also was oh, so resonant for me. But we'll get to that in okay. the next segment. Stick around, folks. Yeah, it really feels like she got my song. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, that's, but isn't that perfect? This is, the, I mean, may, uh, well, I had some ideas. But what did, uh, well, let me just tell you one thing about the artist. So they usually have the artist talk about the song, but I'll talk about Peter David Connolly is an Olympia artist who's in a band called the Mona Reels. I met him when he was just a like a teenager and I was in my late 20s or early 30s and putting on shows in Olympia and someone said, you got to check out this kid. And he just writes some of the most amazing songs. And he's toured as a drummer for a lot of Olympia punk bands in a band. I forget which one, but one with Toby Vale from uh, Bikini Kill and very, very cool guy. And um, this song, what should I say about him playing? Oh, I guess that's all I can tell you. This is... You know, just a very crafty song, and I guess that's the the story behind it for me is that it resonated with your story. What do it you think about that? It was the song that I hoped uh, yeah. was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, of and, course, because um, everything is, happens to you because you wanted it to. Yes, <laughs> right? and it is. So the, the, the premise of this podcast is very interesting because this is how I live my entire life. I um, Synchronicity. Synchronicity I um, is probably my 
gift. I'm very oracle-ish in my day-to-day life. So I am, whatever I am meditating on and thinking about and trying to figure out and trying to hack in life, I am open and listening at all times for songs, numbers, uh, headlines on newspapers, any piece of information that I take in, any show I'm watching, like my brain is looking for the messages in it. I assume that the messages are going to be relevant. And whatever the premise of whatever current trip I'm on, uh, reality feeds synchronicities into that premise. Yeah. So the question that I was basically asking is, are we breaking up yeah. with the uh, fear-based reality? This last year has really, uh, uh, last two years, but the first year was just kind of everyone just swimming in that trauma. And the last year has just been uh, all the trauma in the out, in the outside world, uh, forcing people, it's just like bringing it up to the surface. And as you conquer these things, as these, these demons from your past and these things that you're afraid of come up and you get the opportunity to say, you know what, you don't have, uh, you don't get to live here rent free anymore. You don't get to live in my head anymore. I'm forgiving this. I'm letting go of this. I'm releasing this is really just kind of releases us from this fear-based uh, reality that holds us back and stops us from getting the things we want and going after the things we want and living a life where you know that you are the one creating the life you live in because so long as you are uh, subjugated to fear and insecurity and doubt and self-hate and, and all of these things, you you don't get to enjoy the life that you are creating. And so this just sounded... A lot of this stuff is like realizing that your ego isn't you and uh, loving your ego and saying you get to be here, but you don't get to be in charge anymore. And for a lot of people that manifests as ego being like, you're worthless, though. You're horrible. What are you going to be without me? If you don't have me, you have nothing. Who's going to tell you how stupid you are? And so a lot of uh, for me, that song sounded like a just a a breakup song from the fear based reality, which was the question that I had. Because I feel like we really uh, and even the threshold imagery that I yeah, said walking through your open door. In that song, yeah. yeah. So that was the one I hope. When you read the things, I was like, I really hope it's the breakup song because I feel like that's where we're at. We're in that threshold right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what did you think, Aaron? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you I, said you felt like it was your answer, which is kind of what happens with synchronicities. Like someone asks the question, like everyone always gets their the answer to their question right, throughout right, everything. Right. So. How did you feel like that answered was the answer to your question? Well, I, I was. Uh, you don't have to tell us what your question is yet, but. Well, I thought of it. I processed this. I heard the song a little bit more literally than than Jessa did, and because uh, it's like pulled right out of the story that you tell yeah. of your relationship. Uh, yeah, and like, uh, uh, so I was uh, just kind of uh, scared of breakup, shell shocked, you know, scared and like it's yeah. a triggering word, but. Uh, I've also, it's it's still really good. Uh, even just a fear of a little literal breakup is a, a good analogy for uh, what Jess is talking about. Where like I, uh, I have felt my own ego in the last couple months uh, be uh, desperate to try to keep me in my old life and. Uh, keep me stagnant, keep me there because it's, uh, you know, I felt so much anxiety and stuff over, over a couple few things. And, the, and, and then I 
analyze that anxiety more and realize that it wasn't mine. It was my ego's. My ego uh, doesn't want me to make certain changes because then he won't be as important anymore. And he's uh, doesn't want to be annihilated. And, and uh, you know, he, he wants to hold on to his own existence. And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting to think about... Uh, compare the way that I begged and begged uh, my ex to stay with me and how uh, I just freaked out and uh, see the parallels between that and how our egos can uh, react when they think that they are threatened. Yeah, and I guess, Tim, the only thing that I would add in the interpretation is that the song... That's what I love about Peter, the songwriter. He both is captures the urgency and the desperation of that moment, but also there's something about that sort of mock, like the fact that he's writing it and the way he writes it, it's almost like he's mocking the ludicrousness of it. Like he's definitely, it's funny, the songwriter in this, even though he's definitely in his pain, is yeah. definitely more in agreement with the woman who's leaving him than he yeah. is with himself. Yeah. Which I think is... A it co- is a great breakup song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I also uh, really do, but... So, but I think there's something in that of like, the song is capturing the sense of urgency and being aware and the awareness of it. And maybe I think that's, and if we talk about what's going on, like, are we breaking up tonight? The song is, yeah. is are we breaking up tonight? So what's happening tonight that is going to happen that, because in this realm of what you're talking about, about synchronicity and consciousness shifting, that's something that happens, like, that only happens in the moment, right? So right. the song is saying, and it, what happens tonight might feel like, a national emergency, yeah, <laughs> or a fake national emergency, but uh, but it's also something that you can that you can also the artist in you, the genius in you, can sort of sit back and laugh at and be like, oh, look at look at me stressing out about whatever the thing that happens tonight that's going to stress us out. Yeah, yeah. I also like that it's all from it's all in his head. Um, yeah, that uh, and you know maybe he's totally right, but uh, we also don't know. Like he could just be playing a movie in his head that's uh that's fear based that's freaking out you know uh and it's just certain it's going it's about something bad is about to happen and uh it's uh it's not it's not the end yet you don't know well, and speaking of which it's not the end yet of this, <laughs> and something bad is about to happen in the next segment when we <laughs> get your question for the pop oracle, <laughs> so stick around until tomorrow for more time passes. <laughs> You can listen to the full episode if you'd like to hear our interpretation. What neither Jessa nor her co-host, Aaron Woodall, mention on the show is that they were, at that time, a romantically linked couple in the middle of a breakup. So, they got a great answer, but they didn't let the audience know. I only found this out later when Jessa wrote to me through social media to apologize for not promoting the podcast and filling me in on why it had been difficult for them to engage with such an on-the-money reading. I let her know that was fine and thought nothing more of it beyond what a bullseye synchronicity Peter David Connolly's song was for them. That was the only time I ever spoke with Jessa Reed, but a couple months later, when they came to perform comedy in Olympia at a club called Rhythm and Rye, my friend Chris Kirk, who introduced me to their podcast, insisted 
I go to the show with them. I wanted to support their tour, but the show was hosted by the local comedian Sam Miller, and he's been hostile to me since I booked him to open a Radio 8 Ball show a few years back, and he didn't connect with the audience. He got mad, and after the show, got very close to assaulting me. I would go on to write about this in the song Absolutely No Sense of Humor, but at the time, it was simply the reason I was reticent to go to the show. Chris insisted it would be an opportunity to make peace, which is something I'm always interested in, so I relented. My friend's attempt to broker some detente between Sam and myself went nowhere, as Sam made it clear as soon as we approached him that he had no interest and... So I just watched the show, sitting behind local celebrity storytelling bartender Elizabeth Lord, and when it was over, I said my goodbyes and got the hell out of there. That week had been a good one for Radio 8 Ball. The LA Weekly had just announced their music awards, and four of the acts we'd featured on Radio 8 Ball were winners. Don Heffington, I.C. Hawks in L.A., Laura Jean Anderson, and the band Potty Mouth. I had a call scheduled with Jason Smith, the head honcho at Starburns Audio, that Friday to discuss what I thought was how we were going to promote this adjacent victory for the show. But when we got on the phone, Jason told me that Jessa Reed had accused me of harassing her. As you might imagine, I was stunned. He said that they had to take this kind of thing seriously, and I told him I hoped he would, but he didn't mean take it seriously as in they need to get to the bottom of what was true, but they needed to take her claim seriously. Other than the time Jessa was on the show and the time I attended her show, we had never met in person. We live in cities a thousand miles apart. We had never spoken on the phone. Our only email interaction was initiated by her and consisted of the brief back and forth that I described earlier. And yet, none of this mattered. Over that weekend, speaking with my friend Chris, who knows all the participants, we deduced that Sam Miller had probably put his friends up to this, and Jessa, who brags openly about lying on her podcast and has a philosophy that is basically summed up as people get what they deserve, would be all too willing to take down some dude as a lark. The next week, it was clear that Starburns, who had recently been called out in a series of incidents most prominently involving Dan Harmon, were going to err on the side of kicking us off the network. I have some distance from this now, but that week and the weeks that followed, I was genuinely suicidal. Not just over losing access to a creative environment in which the show was thriving, But to be falsely labeled as a threat to women when I work so hard to make the show a place where women and men can soulfully engage these topics, as when I had Abby Weems of the band Potty Mouth on our first episode as part of Starburn's audio after her accusations against the founder of Feral Audio brought that network down. 
Nobody else invited her back. I did twice. One of the things that never gets brought up in these cases is how an unfounded accusation can turn a man who has been a resource to women into someone who can no longer perform that function. Nor is it much considered how traumatic it is for someone who has devoted themselves to being an ally to be painted as the opposite and for it to be believed no matter how obviously false it may be. In the meantime, Sam Miller, who probably initiated this ugly attack, has suffered no repercussions to his reputation, and Jessa Reed, who is no longer with Starburns, is probably somewhere making someone else unhappy and calling it comedy. When I look at it honestly, even though all this went down in 2019, and I managed to finish out that season, and then to produce a third season of Lockdown Divinations, that's when doing Radio 8 Ball started to hurt more than it inspired me. And this show inspires me a lot. As part of my agreement with Jason Smith, who brought me into Starburns and also kicked me out of it, we agreed to say that things ended because Radio 8 Ball didn't do enough numbers for them. Why did Jason agree to this? Because when my pal Dino Stamatopoulos confronted him about using a bogus sexual harassment claim against me after the stuff that they'd all just been through over this last year, and Jason admitted that wasn't really the reason, but he just said that at this point it was just easier to get rid of Radio 8 Ball since The Mormon and the Method was a more popular show. So we agreed not to discuss the details, and until now I've tried to honor this agreement. I don't know if the folks at Starburns have done so as well, or if they're even aware such an agreement exists. The thing is, Jason Smith, he died suddenly this last spring. I gave to his daughter's college fund, and I encourage you to do so as well if the link I've attached to this is still active. Regardless of our last interaction, Jason was a generally solid guy, with a just big, wonderful spirit. And uh, I wish things had gotten better between us. But since my agreement was with him, I really no longer feel obligated to be silent about Sam Miller and Jessa Reed or their cynical weaponization of Me Too against me and this show. But here's the thing. That reading with Jess and Aaron was amazing. Amazing like an explosion that injures a sloppy chemist. Not only did it predict their breakup, it also predicted Jessa's role in forcing my breakup with Starburns. And sadly, for reasons I don't understand, it even predicted the state of affairs between me and the writer of the song, who sadly sent me some very angry emails during COVID without any explanation. And now that I can actually unpack it in the venue in which it's most appropriate, this show, the realm of the pop oracle, I guess I can have some appreciation for the brutal genius of this show. Before we get to my question, 
let's take a second and check out the song of the day from the day I am recording this, which is July 8th, 2021. It seems appropriate. The song is Fight It If You Want from John Hour of the Posies, performed live on Radio 8 Ball at the Capitol Hill Arts Center in Seattle, Washington on September 13th, 2007. There isn't time to tell you all that you need to know But I get as scared as any and I wish it wasn't so And I don't like it any more than you do But you'd better hold in spite of doubt Let's swing to the right Never lose what you found out You can fight it if it doesn't kill you You can fight it if you wanna fight We're gonna make a listing Of all the things we don't need And then we will wean them slowly All the fears we feed And I don't like it Any more than you do not any more than you do But you'd better hold in spite of doubt Left swinging to the right Never lose what you found out You can fight it if it doesn't kill you Yeah, you'd better hold in spite of doubt Sense swinging out of sight Never lose what you found out You can fight it if it doesn't kill you you can fight it if you wanna fight. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. And I don't like it any more than you do. No, I don't like it. Not any more than you. But you'd better hold in spite of doubt Not swinging to the right And never lose what you found out You can fight it if it doesn't kill you Yeah, you'd better hold in spite of doubt Sense swinging out of sight And never lose what you found out You can fight it if it doesn't kill you You can fight it if you wanna fight you can fight it if it doesn't kill you You can fight it if you wanna fight You can fight it if it doesn't kill you You can fight it if you wanna fight Nah, 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 nah Nah, 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 nah. Okay, well, now it's the moment we've all been waiting for. Well, uh, I'm sure you haven't been waiting for this, but it's the moment I've been waiting for, which is my chance to ask a question to the Pop Oracle. Um, I experience lots and lots of synchronicity throughout the day, and I have lots of ways that I engage the function of the pop oracle but i actually don't 
use the Radio 8 Ball app very often. I try and keep it a special thing that I really do just for shows or with other people. Uh, it's a shared experience. It's a communal experience. So uh, the whole point of this season has been to introduce the Radio 8 Ball app to the world. It's the happening, after all. And so let's just go through it one more time. You know, you download the app from the iTunes App Store. I am now opening it up. There's an animation. Then the eight ball with the rabbit ears comes up. And then there's the Ask the Pop Oracle button. And I'm going to click on that. And now all the sound is coming through, the sound of space. And... Now, you could speak your question or type it. I like to type it, personally. But I could speak it to it. And now I'm going to read you my question for the Pop Oracle. When Radio 8 Ball returns, will I be with friends or mostly alone? And now, to engage the Pop Oracle, I'm going to give it a shake. If I was a singer-songwriter I'm going to take this as a positive. I'd write a song that went like this. If I was a bull writer I'd write a bull that could not miss. If I was a street fighter I would use my fists Yeah, if I was a coal miner I'd try to kiss your ruby lips Love hangs over Love's hangover sail Love hangs over Love's hangover sail And if I was a stargazer I'd gaze into your pretty eyes If I was a trailblazer I'd blaze across your starry skies And if I was a laser I would lay me down and cry if I was the Lone Ranger Guess I'd have an alibi Love hangs over Love's hangover sail Love hangs over Love's hangover sail Everything goes for it all If 25 bucks you can have it all Everything goes for it all If 25 bucks you can have it all And if I was a millionaire I'd put a flower in your hair If I could choose a career Guess I'll be an auctioneer 
If I stay back in Wyoming, <clears throat> we both might feel much better. And if I could stop my roaming around gambling, we still might be together. Love hangs over. Those hangovers say. Love hangs over. Love's hangover sale. Everything goes for a dollar. For 25 bucks, you can have it all. Everything goes for a dollar. For 25 bucks, you can have it all. Everything must go. Everything must go. Radio must go. Waterbed must go, bread machine must go, trampoline must go, Studebaker, baker, popcorn maker, loves hangover say. Arrogance must go, jealousy must go, bitterness. Self-deprecation, all shame, all blame, all guilt must wilt. Love's hangover say. 23, 23, do I hear? 24, 24, do I hear? 25, 25, sold to the girl in the riches. Love hangs over. Love's hangover say. 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 Holler, any little girl can fall. Any little girl can fall. Any little girl can fall. Going down the butcher holler. Any little girl can fall. Any little girl can fall. Any little girl can fall. Her love tends to hang over. Love. Love's hang over. And that was Love's Hangover Sale, performed by Chris Sandman Sand and the Radio 8 Band live in Olympia at Obsidian, no longer, but when it was there, Obsidian, and that was recorded on September 23rd, 2015. And the Radio 8 band was made up of not just Chris Sandman Sand, but Scott Taylor, uh, many-time guest on Radio 8 Ball, Scott Taylor on bass guitar and backing vocals, Skylar Blake on guitar and harmonica and backing vocals, and Chad Austinson on drums. I don't think he sang any backing vocals. And... 
I've played a lot of music with all of those guys. So my question was, when Radio 8 Ball returns, will I be with friends or mostly alone? This song is full of my friends, Chris and Scott and Skylar. And I think Chad, (laughs) I hope so. I don't know. Um, and the song starts off if I was a songwriter, which I am, and I've been doing more of, and I think maybe that's where my, uh, my synchronicity mojo has been heading. And so there's something from that that I take, like, maybe I'll be the musical guest when we come back. That would be the best. Oh my God, that would be incredible. (laughs) I would love that. Um, And then there's also, not only am I a a songwriter, the the phrasing he says is songwriter, but not only am I a songwriter, but I'm singing backup on that recording and I sang backup on the studio recording of that song. So it's it's also a song just that it's inviting a lot of my own musical creativity, which as I said, is something I've been putting more attention to lately. And um, yeah, that would make me incredibly happy if that's how it turns out. Um, oh, well, then there's the closing refrain, which is the sort of that there was the there, there was the carrot. The carrot is all these wonderful people playing music, enjoying creativity getting to sing with them, all fantastic. But at the end, the medicine, the stick to that carrot is that everything must go. Everything must go. Arrogance, jealousy, bitterness, shame, blame, guilt. There probably other ones there. And as you heard from the lead up to all of this, that is not an easy... It's not an easy task for anyone. I just told you the specifics of how it's not easy for me. And you could probably listen to it and be like, well, goddamn man, just all the songs are telling you. John Hours saying, fight it if you want. And Sandman saying everything must go. And even Jessa, who has who declared herself my enemy, I didn't want that. Even her advice in the in the reading the things she said before she became someone who weaponized attacks me to attacks against an innocent person a lot against me see it's so hard to let go of that uh her advice was still the right thing is like to move on we do have to let go of all this stuff but it's fucking hard and i guess that's why i asked that because it's really hard to do alone um, I think that's why this season has been so tough. Even though I've had some guests on, some really good guests, so I really some great guests, so I really appreciate being on the show. It's still been mostly a a lonely enterprise, and so I have my prescription. Everything must go. The arrogance, the jealousy, the bitterness, the shame, blame, the guilt. And on the other side of that is creativity and friendship. And 
I want those things. I want those things. So, okay, well, this is going to come out in about a month. And who knows? Between now and then, I might think even more on it and have some greater insights. But for now, that's my interpretation. So, assuming I haven't added something between that last part and this part, let's close this fucker out. Jason Smith is not the only associate of the Pop Oracle to move on from this realm since last we spoke. On June 21st, 2018, Zach Nilsson and his brother Kifo were the featured guests for our tribute to their father, Harry. It was one of our best episodes, and I'll provide a link to it in the show notes. Not long after that recording, Zach was diagnosed with colon cancer. For the last couple of years, he documented his journey with regular video posts about it. These were sad and beautiful and just as inspirational as they were frustrating to those of us who wished we could do more. On March 4th of this year, 2021, Zach was relieved of his suffering. Let's listen to a song he performed in the studio at Starburns Industries when he was on the show. It's called Bigger Man, and it's about his dad. Bigger man than me. My teacher drove me to New York and dropped me off with Harry. For two full hours they talked and laughed. It was a bigger man than me. Behind when he died, 
swallow the South China Sea. He was a bigger man than me, and he loved his family. There's nothing he wouldn't have done for any of us. He was a bigger man than me. He was a bigger man than me. He'd do you all any favor and he'd do it for free. He was a bigger man than me. On May 15th, 2018, Don Heffington was the musical guest for a session at Starburns that featured his friends Dave Alvin, Chucky Weiss, Amy Allison, Paul Bodie, Paul Zolo, and Jill Markey. I'll provide the link to that episode in the show notes. Don wasn't just a very clever and soulful songwriter. He was also a somewhat legendary session drummer in the L.A. music scene who played with Bob Dylan, Lowell George, and Tom Waits, among hundreds of others. About a year after our session at Starburns, I had the opportunity to play and sing on a song for a project I am currently sworn to secrecy about, but I am free to tell you that Don played drums on that session, and he was as grounded and groovy as his reputation. On March 24th of this year, 2021, Word started to leak out among his friends and colleagues that Don had recently fallen ill, and now he was gone. It sent shockwaves through the L.A. music scene, and he received many fitting tributes. Let's honor his passing with his song Avenue C, performed with his friend Dominic Genova on bass. obstacles the typical slogs I was tossed in a pit full of menacing dogs then sold into slavery for a ten dollar note 
Surrounded by possums and suckled by goats, I was tied to a rock overlooking the Thames. Swept into the river and fished out again. Accused of adultery by a well-known harlot and burned at the stake by North African pirates. But as fate deemed appropriate, down came the rains, blinding my captors and dousing the flames and drowning the harlot who called out my name. Hey, that's nothing unusual, it's more the same. for a couple of weeks too exhausted to stand and too edgy to speak too hungry to think and too tired to pray with no place to go and yet no place to stay and to add to life's numerable petty frustrations I was stranded for hours at the local train station before setting off to squander the seasons in the cities that blanket the northeastern regions Uncertain future and dwindling reserves, old scraps of paper and overwrought nerves. I saw her before me, her foot on the stair, her hand on the railing and the wind in her hair. Well, it seemed that I'd seen her one time in L.A. At some local art gathering or some miserable play, perhaps in Chicago or maybe a dream. But dreams are beyond me, who knows what they mean. As I went out walking one morning so fair, I spied a young jaybird circling the air. Come hither, young jaybird, and sit on my knee, and we'll watch the sunrise over Avenue C. No, I wouldn't come hither to a rounder like thee, for ye may take vengeance on a poor bird like me, and leave me like Papa down six feet below. I said, hey, hold on, take it easy there, crow. You know, many have lived here like many before. They've walked the same hallways and they swept the same floors. They've fought the same battles with varied resources. And they've sought the same pleasures from a number of sources. They've married, divorced, and the kids have left home. Some have taken to beds that they lie in alone. Well, living in limbo and dying in vain, hey, that's nothing unusual. It's more of the same. Hit it, man. There you go. 
And that was Avenue C. Yeah. Well, that's it. Thank you for following along with my synchronistic adventures to the extent you have. Especially thanks to all of our newish listeners in India. Most weeks these days, we have more listeners in your country than in my own, which isn't ideal, but still, I think this speaks well of this format, if not of my fellow countrymen and women. I also want to thank everyone who has been a guest on this show this season, whether you were an actual guest or a previous guest whose song, like Avenue C from Don Heffington, was played on the show over these last many episodes. Your talent is what fills this pop oracle. So, much gratitude. And finally, I want to give a very, very, very special thank you to Erica Russell for all of her loving support and encouragement and her profound faith in this format and in me. Thank you, Erica. And in closing, please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app so when we do come back, you'll know it. And if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store and share it with your friends. We're going to go out with absolutely no sense of humor because, well, in a Chekhovian sense, we can't just leave that loaded gun on that particular mantelpiece. So... It seems like the right thing to do. Or maybe the wrong thing to do, but the correct thing to do. Or maybe not the correct thing to do, but... uh, Fuck it, I'm doing it. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, whenever that may be, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. There's a comedian in this town Who gets mad if you call him a clown Even though clown's just a synonym for his profession So let's just call him Sam The big comedian With absolutely no sense of humor about the word clown Well he chased me down the street outside of Obsidian Shouting and threatening me Did this guy the grave injustice of inviting him to do my show? It didn't go as well as he hoped, and he blamed me for the whole situation. In an angry after-show text that led me to mutter under my breath, oh, I made the clown cry. That's why he chased me down the street outside of Obsidian that night, shouting and threatening. Man, he wasn't kidding. You call me a clown, you call me a clown A minute you call me a clown That's what he shouted as he ran me down Ain't that hilarious? Come on, Sam 
sense of humor about the word clown. So if you see him clowning around, don't make the mistake of calling him a clown. Even under your breath when he's not around, he might chase you down the street outside of obsidian. That's right, shouting and threatening, man, he won't be kidding. He'll be looking for a fight, and when it happens to you, I believe that it's true. It's the radio wave.